Hello and good evening and greetings to you. It's the Dicer Screaming Podcast coming at you. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form the gestalt of gaming podcasts, the Dicer Screaming Podcast. So welcome. Yeah, welcome once again. Uh, today is our our Topic Tuesday. Where topic we Tuesday. shall formally unravel something. What will it be? What will they talk about this week? We will unravel something like a cheap sweater. Mm. So... But you can expect no less from the... Oh, the Grand Funk Railroad 8-track cassette of gaming podcasts. Oh. <laughs> I think this van came with it. Yeah, I found it under the passenger seat glued to the floor by old soda and bong water. Mm. <laughs> wow. No. Yeah. <laughs> it still plays, though. Oh, I... well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't get it back out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you ride in this van you listen to grand funk railroad or nothing because <laughs> the radio don't work either <laughs> all right so yeah welcome so uh we hope you had a good week we've uh, been doing pretty well here we're getting close to 150 of our podcast this makes uh dangerous territory yeah that means uh just a little bit longer and it's 200 Oh well, yeah. Sometime next year, we'll be we'll be doing a two hundredth uh, podcast, and, and that'll be impressive. A, a mm-hmm. bicentennial, yeah. Wow, not bad. You know, pretty soon we'll be knocking at three hundred. Good lord, oh. oh, that'd probably be around like the end of next year. Yeah, but you know, just like uh, that's a lot of podcasts. Yeah, that's a lot of words spoken into the internet. So, um, yeah, speaking <laughs> Howling of, into the abyss. Sometimes it howls back at you. So we got some call-ins then, speaking of howling from the Ooh, internet. Yes. It, it does uh, occasionally uh, issue forth some rumbles and portents of doom. Huzzah, huzzah. But uh, start us off, it's Frostoth, the cyanic platypus has dropped in from the aether. Uh, hungry and leaving empty-handed, for there yeah. are no thoughts to be found here at the Dicer Screaming. That's right. We're, we're thoughtless. We're thoughtless, yeah. Thankful for that. But <laughs> also feckless. We don't give a feck because we don't have any effects to give. Oh, all out Plus, of feckless. we are feckless. Here to chew bubble gum and kick fecks. We're all out of gum. <laughs> all, all right, right. Froth. All right, yeah. Let, let her rip, Froth. Take it away. Gentlemen, it is Froth here. Wanted to let y'all know I enjoyed your latest podcast on old school gaming. Thought y'all made a lot of good points. Um, didn't really have any disagreement. I uh, thought, uh, you know, I enjoy all editions and like mixing and matching and mashing everything up into a, a froth pot of, of, of D&D goodness. <laughs> and uh, I would say if I had to point to one thing for me... But, difference between old school and kind of later editions um it wouldn't be anything about death and dying or level drain people house through that stuff anyway regardless of edition uh the biggest thing i notice a difference is with the complexity of the pcs you know both as a player and a gm it's just a different feel when you get uh, a lot of features you know pretty much every level or, or whatever but it's just a matter of taste and i like them both i like it all so anyway see y'all later take it easy Froth pot, wow! Can, I yeah, I want one of those. Yeah, is that it? Like, uh, is like a fondue pot? Oh, that would be, dude. Now I want fondue, and we're in the middle of the show. Uh sorry. <sighs> All right, but yeah, I, I, you can get your froth pot over at the uh, Target. 
uh, I, I believe they're like twenty nine ninety nine. Oh, uh, you know, you can let things simmer. They're like an Instapot. Yeah, you you can just let things simmer all day while you're at work, and you know, come home and have a nice you know froth pot made meal. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, actually, I love what you said there, and it's it's something that echoed a sentiment of mine. I'm very happy with introducing new school concepts to or old school concepts to new school editions, and I'm a mashup kind of guy. Uh, but I think fifth edition would be incredibly well served by increasing the number of options. And I look, I'm just saying point blank, this is an opportunity to sell material to, you know, like write new books of optional rules for, uh, enhancing the number of traits and things available for characters. Um, the people who want to play the stripped down, very easy, you know, highly, Customizable, uh, you know, uh, could be said. The, the current version is, you know, wonderfully simple. And it's a great introduction point for new players. I, I 100% am on board with it. But there is absolutely a market for complicating it a bit. Uh, and by publishing it as optional rules that don't absolutely have to be Canaan in every single campaign, uh, they could get the best of both worlds and I think, you know, put some pretty seriously desirable product out on the market yeah i think a similar thing goes with the uh, second edition of pathfinder as well i like uh, i like its streamlinedness but i also like the highly customizable character optimization and growth potential that are presented it's really been a lot of fun for me and that's still why i play primarily uh, pathfinder classic so but yeah uh, i definitely agree that a lot of people you know they just change roles old school is more of a mentality i think rather than a specific rule set but you know, there's a lot that goes on in uh, everybody's game, and everybody enjoys different things at different times, you know, and more of Viva la Difference is uh, quite the catchword around our table. It's like there's, we play a wide variety of games, and we're not afraid to uh, break out of the mold and try something completely new and strange. Which reminds me, we need to talk about Tune sometime. <gasps> oh, Tune. It's been years. Mm. Ah, uh, Roscoe Hare yeah. rides again. <laughs> you nothing like the pie fight of doom. But all right, thanks a lot, Frost Austin. You keep them coming, man, and uh, we'll uh, pick up a froth pot. Yes, yes, I'm getting one of the... Oh, man, it's too late. Cyber Monday is over. Oh. Black Friday is gone. I'm going to have to pay full price for that froth pot. Yeah, but uh, thanks for the cue, man, and uh, keep it coming, buddy. And we're going to move on with uh, Jason. Uh, called in and he's got some thoughts for us as well so take it away jason hey guys jason nerds rpg variety cast great episode the bringing the old school to the new school thing dave aldrich has talked about that some on his um deep percentile podcast how he's a, a newer gamer but he's trying to incorporate and he isn't he isn't really interested in playing ad and first edition or anything but he's trying to incorporate the old school ideals into these newer games. And the new games, like the Black Hack, make it very easy to incorporate those ideals into them, you know, those methods into them, because they're not as structured. So um, as far as the Star Wars um, holiday special goes, so funny enough, I showed it to my wife the other night. She had never seen it before. We were sitting there, and she's like, what do you want to watch? And I was like, I don't know. We're... Flaking through Disney Plus because we have Disney Plus and nothing caught our eye. And I made a, a quip about it's a shame the holiday special and the Ewok movies weren't on there. 
and you know, Disney Plus, and and she said she'd never seen the holiday special, which I, I guess isn't a surprise. I mean, she, we're, we're the age. I remember watching the holiday special on TV. I don't remember a lot. I, I mean, I've seen it since, so I know it, the details. But I know I remember watching it on TV. You know, it was a big deal when it came on. And anyhow, she'd never seen it. And I warned her, you know, you're going to see Wookiee virtual sex in here. And she looked at me and, and she sat there and watched this thing and watching her watch the holiday special and dawning on her, you know, realizing, you know, they preempted the Incredible Hulk to play this thing, right? They, you know, this thing was a big deal and it's such a colossal, it's crazy. I am super glad bootlegs of the holiday special are out there. I'm glad that I have access to it. I'm glad I was able to show it to her, but I can't defend it. <laughs> I won't try to defend it. And when you watch the holiday special, and you, it does bring a smile to my face to watch it, but not because it's good, but because who thought that was a good idea? Some of the things that happened in there. It, it's flabbergasting. I mean, it, and I remember, I mean, you know, I grew up, you know, you had Hee Haw on and you had all this stuff on. And I'm not putting that down. But you look at the shows you had in the 60s and 70s, and I, I guess that helps you understand why you have the holiday special, right? But, yeah, I don't know. It, Yeah, I can't defend it, but I'm glad it exists. And your podcast, I will defend that. I'm glad it, it exists as well. Take care, guys. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for the, that you would defend us. Uh, wow. Uh, See, we didn't hire Bruce Blanche, so... <laughs> That's where we went right. Ah, <laughs> uh, nothing like Han Solo singing. Yeah, um, Solo sings live. Corellian oh, blues. Wait, he wouldn't by any chance be singing a solo, would he? No. Oh, exactly. Wow. Now that would be worthy of the level of humor used in the Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah, it is a unique piece of history that. Uh, like Disney keeps trying to bury it underneath the litter box, you know, and kick the sand over top of it. Oh, that was that Lucas. Totally didn't happen. Lucas for years denied uh, would uh, not release a holiday special, even though they asked. Uh, well, who thought Art Carney and uh, the actress that played Maude and uh, later in the Golden Girls? Uh, what's her name? Oh, oh yeah, Rat. yeah, uh, yeah. Not no, her name is not Rat. Uh, B Arthur. B B Arthur would make you know a great. Uh, addition to Star Wars Canaan. Um, in one Star Wars role-playing game, we did run into them. So that's just <laughs> one of the things that uh, you have to live with. And uh, yeah, it was a big deal when I was a kid, man. I was just all pumped up, excited. And then afterwards, I was like, well, uh, at least I got to watch the Boba Fett cartoon. Yeah, yeah, there was still that. You know, it's not like other things didn't happen that were, you know, considerably better. But, you know, that was that was Star Wars. We all had that cringe moment. Uh, and it, it is exactly that kind of bad where, you know, you're not laughing because it's good. Uh, this is Rocky Horror Picture Show where, like, you just want a mystery science theater 3000-ness and you just hammer it. Which, by the way, uh, we are going to do a, you know, uh, classic uh, fantasy gaming favorite movie topic one of these days. And uh, I'm, I'm literally filling my venom sacks uh, and oh, sharpening and the snark my knives. Glands. Don't yeah. forget the snark gland. Yeah, the snark gland is is like literally bulbous right now. I've saved it all up 
for the movie episode because we're we're going to tear apart something that. Yeah, maybe we should do a YouTube on that one. Oh, oh, just yeah, play do like a twenty minute over our shoulder while we watch yeah. the movie, and then just let me go. You can let, let us go. No, oh. I got some. I got some ammo in those. Oh, uh, you got some ammo in the locker. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's totally going to happen. We're going to do a movie episode, but maybe not podcast. Just literally do a reaction point by point. Uh, you know, like Brendan Tenhold does on YouTube. I YouTube. like his stuff. His, his stuff's good. But, uh, yeah, uh, your poor wife. Uh, she should uh, <laughs> definitely uh, be able to file for grievance on that one. That, <laughs> wow. Um, so... Well, I, you know that, like you said, you can't defend it, but there, you like watching it because it's kind of like you're watching people witnessing a train wreck in slow motion. Yeah, I mean, just watching the the horror unfold. Like, oh my God, was that a decapitation? Is uh, that a sex crime? You know, just that is awful. I and I can't turn away. I just I can't make myself hit the the off button. I have to see this through to the end. Um, <laughs> It is just disastrous, but but it's part of our Star Wars lore. Okay, so we we're stuck with it. Yep. But I'm glad we're not we're not unflatteringly compared to the Star Wars Christmas Holiday, special. No. Well, a Wookiee holiday. All right, all right. So we got some topic to cover. So thanks, Jason. Thanks so much. And, Wookiee. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> oh, I'll stop. Are you out of your Wookiee mind? Oh, all right. Well, we got some topic for you, and we got to pay the bills first, so we're going to do that and be right back after these short messages. So stick around. All right, and we're back. So thanks for sticking around. Uh, We've got our call-ins done. Thank you all. But uh, tonight's topic, we're going to tackle something we've been waiting to do for a while, and I hope that uh, you'll enjoy it too. It's Dark Sun. Yeah, I cannot say enough good things about this. It's it's overdue. We originally had in mind handling it sooner, but we've we've had you know uh, some technical issues, uh, mostly my work schedule, uh, and well, of course holidays uh, this time of year. So and there's a lot of timing issues too. We wanted to get some things done, and uh, but it's kind of been put to the back burner over and over. This is a beloved campaign setting. So Dark Sun, uh, just to throw it out there. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this off and say circa 1991, uh, in the second incarnation, the second edition era. Yeah, second edition TV. just been released. It'd been out for about a year or two, and people were, um, yeah, Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk, of course, had uh, been uh, treated to the second edition uh, treatment, but they wanted to go with a new campaign world. Uh, Spelljammer had also been out, but we shall not speak that name. Um, what we will talk about about Dark Sun is that it has one of the most tragic histories of all of TSRs. It actually showed what they could do, what could be done, uh, with an alternate campaign world that didn't feature the standard elf dwarf. Yeah, very, very different campaign setting. Uh, um, you know, happening kind of ethos. They turned it on its ear. But we'll start it out with uh, when it, it came in a big brown box. And, um, you know, it had a campaign guide, a player's guide, and... Uh, had a map that was uh, printed on cloth that was all tattered and frayed at the sides. So wonderful air of authenticity to the and had a, uh, a flip map. book module series, which has some fans and detractors of. But again, it was innovative. So I'm not going to really comment on the flip book format um, 
One was for the game master, and one was that the as the each part of the plot would progress, the game master would flip the book for the players, and it would be a scene of what they're facing. But everything was unfamiliar. There were no orcs, gnolls, trolls, humanoids. Everything was brand new. And also, it uh, hit on magical devastation versus a kind of apocalyptic scenario of nuclear war or far future fantasy. Yeah, so there's elements of science fiction in this tale, uh, but a very strong undercurrent of fantasy, a much more dominant element of fantasy. Yeah, it wasn't nuclear weapons that devastated the world. It was the abuse of magic. Yeah, and that this had uh, stripped the life, you know, the the essence of health and life, and you know, uh, from the landscape itself. Uh, and so, you know, magic had two principal sources. Yeah, right uh, off the bat, uh, magic users had to choose to be preservers, which were the traditional forms of spellcasting using components and uh, semantics. So that they don't harm the environment around them. And, and defilers. Who just drain it right out. Yeah, they use the life force of everything, you know, like the grass, the trees, you know, everything that is growing and alive, uh, you know, takes a little ding when a defiler is casting a spell. They're draining the life out of things to power themselves. Uh, and so you had these two radically different attitudes towards magic in a world that had been devastated and was very much like a, a cracked and barren land with little oases of, of relative safety and comfort where, you know, water that was clean and food that could be grown were found. Uh, and <laughs> woe betide ye if you were in between point A and point B because there's nothing out there. Yeah, it was ruled principally in, um, from a cabal of sorcerer kings who were ancient beyond description who were originally or rumored to be the original defilers the ones who unleashed this magical devastation and now there's nothing but barren silt wastes rocky crags and where once oceans loomed hideous warped monsters uh, you know attempting to devour whatever passers by uh, are making their way from city to city Yep, and, you know, mercenary armies that fight for a few sacks of moldering grain next to a silt, a silty oasis just to get by another day. So, you know, principally, your weapons were not metal. It was so hot and arid here that metal armor and weapons were almost unheard of. There were a few fine examples of metal weapons, but they're rare. Most were wood, bone, and obsidian. Ah, correct, yes. The materials that were available were the materials most likely to be used. Stone axes, obsidian blades, uh, you know, wooden clubs, uh, you know. Your typical uh, stone and flint napped uh, spears and arrows. Yeah, a very almost like driven back to the Stone Age era uh, level of tech. Yeah, leathers and hides of strange creatures have been harvested. And there was no gold. Yeah, that was... Completely off the table. Because it was so rare that only the sorcerer kings or their Templars were the ones who dealt with it. Or high-powered merchant houses. They were the only ones who could afford to deal in in gold anymore. Yeah, because the value of it was so great that, you know, the exchange of just a small pouch of gold meant that, like, 
because of major trading action by a enormously influential faction. Uh, that was like the entire payment for, you know, 20 wagon loads of this precious substance. A oh, handful of gold. And this uh, setting was come up by uh, Timothy Brown and uh, Troy Denning, who ended up writing a, a series of novels for it we'll get into later. But we'll discuss the campaign also in its treatment of races. Now, there were elves, dwarves, and halflings, but no gnomes. They ate them all. Um, but <laughs> also introduced was a hybrid, a dwarf-human hybrid called a mole, which didn't have, oh, it was a humanoid that didn't grow any body hair, but was enormously tough and strong, much resembling the dwarf in, its, in their endurance and their physique, but also having the musculature and length of a human. And on top of that, uh, you also had half-giants bred by the sorcerer kings over long years as slaves and uh, menial laborers and also shock troops. Yeah, yeah but... That and also from across the Silt Sea were strange insect men, the Thrykreen, were finally yes. given as a player character race. Yeah, the insect people listed in the Monster Manual 2, the Thrykreen, finally made their appearance in this campaign world as a race of their own. And interesting character choice they made, too. Yeah, and the character classes, as we mentioned with the Magic User, obviously changed. There were no paladins because, well, there just weren't. Um, clerics didn't have, there were no gods in Dark Sun. The Templars received their benefits in sort of like the warlock patrons do now, where they kind of given us a bit of sacrifice and homage like a deity to the Sorcerer King in exchange for power from that the Sorcerer King channels through them, a conduit much akin to a divine. But most clerics and druids worship the elemental forces, with druids being really pissed off about what has happened to their groves. Oh yeah, they're definitely in the preserver category. Yeah, almost like now eco-terrorists where they'll just plant trees just to show you. Oh, well, I mean, in, oh, <laughs> don't get on the wrong side of a druid in that campaign world, because uh, you know, if you're a defiler, uh, they're already gunning for you. You know, nature has been harmed enough. You know, this world is on the brink of death because of uh, the murderous uh, and greedy intentions of the sorcerer kings. Uh, your malfeasance will come to an end. You know, the, the druids are not to be negotiated with lightly in that setting. Yeah, they're but, a little peeved about a few things that happened, but as Mike said, yeah, uh, with good reason. Yeah, not not without some justification. And they also included a new class, the gladiator. Not ah, true. A skilled combatant, principally playing to the entertainment for the folk of the city states wherein the sorcerer kings ruled. And then the next is the psionicist, which in Dark Sun, psionics were not an option. The versatile and I thought rather elegantly designed. Uh, psionic rules using the proficiency system from second edition fit very well into this. Yeah, I, I would like to take a moment to highlight the fact that in previous campaigns, previous settings, and uh, previous editions, prior to this particular campaign setting, psionics was an option. And for the most part, it was a thing that was largely ignored because it was a small facet. Uh, it was a little weird on little unwieldy in mm -hmm. some respects. Uh, in Dark Sun, Psionics came into its own. It was an essential part of the campaign. Uh, it was a major facet of the, the backstory and the environment around the players when they 
uh, play in that setting. And so there was no getting rid of it. And they expanded upon it, clarified it, and made it much more player-friendly. So this was the big debut for... And also, bards were changed from uh, horny minstrels to uh, poison-dealing assassins and spies. Yeah, that uh, a world of perpetual intrigue uh, and factionalism uh, made them less uh, merry minstrels and more uh, deadly movers and shakers with good social skills. Uh, And also a fine use of appreciation for poison. Yeah. So... Yeah, a lot of change. And the elves and dwarves that were still around, the elves were xenophobic and also swift runners, um, since their forests had mostly been devastated, didn't trust many outsiders, and were seen as very untrustworthy. The dwarves had shed their beards and now just became very stout uh, craftsmen, as they always were, but also enduring stoically what had happened to the changes to their world. And halflings were cannibals. Oh, because yeah. second lunch is a thing with, hey, you're invited to lunch. Great. <laughs> By the way, you're the entree. What? Oh. Yeah. Halfling cannibals. Wrap your minds around that. You know, no more no more little Mr. Nice Guy. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> this time, you're the precious. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was a pretty grim world in Dark Sun. Things had gone horribly awry. And as a general rule in any campaign in Dark Sun, the, the players do not start off uh, well-trained, well-equipped in some wonderfully safe locale with everything waiting to go their way while they just have a cold one down at the local tavern. Or a, a moderately cool one. A moderately cooled one, yeah. Uh, no. <clears throat> no. You this... started play at third level and usually it's a slave. Yeah, but uh, you, your circumstances are horrible in the extreme. Uh, you are absolutely impoverished and uh, under considerable obligation. And then the players as a group work their way out of that or escape from it and then move their way into surviving uh, as a team and moving towards certain goals, uh, finding patrons that can protect them while also offering them certain opportunities. Yeah, they may escape from a slave caravan or they may have just uh, been raided, their village raided and whatever they could take. But starting at third level was a bold choice for TSR at that time. And some people didn't take to it well. Well, you know, it's just a tough world. So you start at first level if you don't make it. Well, yeah, they didn't make you do it. Like, say, like, if you don't do this, the TSR hit squad will come and confiscate all your playing game with your own dice. Yeah, of course. It was all optional, of course. But they made a good point in that, like, you know, the first levelers, you're probably not going to live through this. So, yeah. you know, we recommend campaign start at third. That, like, the weak have, the chaff have already been cast off. The weak have already been defeated. Uh, your characters represent those who have survived long enough to at least be ready to start out on your own. Uh, and that's an interesting choice. Well, why not make first level that much tougher? That would alter the structural design of the game in a way that you know, they can just give a pass by having people start at third. It was the simplest way to accomplish their goal. So I I don't disapprove at all. No, and I also think that the nice thing about putting the psionics in there is it gave us our first look at a psionic organization called the Order. Something I still admire greatly out of Garkson. A very apolitical organization that spanned, that had no boundaries. 
They were all interconnected. And it was all about the way and the will. And they were apolitical so that they could proliferate and teach others the arts of the mental disciplines. Yeah, they did not uh, offend the sorcerer kings. They did not pick a side in any particular conflict. They had no official stances beyond. We exist to perpetuate our own order and to train those who have this talent. Uh, and interesting way to introduce psionics in a much broader sense into a campaign setting. Now, of course, there was on the cover and others uh, of some of the novels that covered the dragon. There was one single dragon that went to his city-states, and each of the sorcerer kings gave unto the dragon a tithe of slaves. Nothing was ever seen of them afterwards. Presumably, they were eaten, or some sorceress calamity befell them. But that was the price paid. And so... There was this wonderful setting of new exotic creatures and twists on old familiar friends and races that now made it a very different game to play. If you sat down to play Dark Sun, the characters you have in Dark Sun also had higher stats. You could go up to... These stats go up to 20. Huh. But, you know, why not just make 18 that much louder? But I'll go to 20. Yeah. Just, yeah, spinal tap moment there, but... Yeah. It it worked, okay? It, it was not out of balance for that campaign setting. Because you didn't have a proliferation of metal and items to give you high armor classes. Yeah, I mean, you're not sporting plus five plate and, you know, plus five castle smasher sword. You know, none of that's there. It's all gone. A plus one, uh, what was it? Yeah, plus one sword was the object of multiple assassinations. A plus one metal sword. Oh, yeah. The desirability of such an object is so great that fortunes have been lost. Houses have gone into debt trying to acquire such an artifact. Uh, you know, paying assassins to murder an entire caravan uh, would be worth it. You know, like, the transport of such a thing is almost done with no publicity. And th this is where you get into the factionalism and the intrigue mm -hmm. and the treachery, because there are some things that are of such great worth and brung to life in glorious art by Brahm. This yeah. is our first real look at Brahm. And man, does he... He hits the notes of Frazetta. He does several paintings for several game products that are all takes on Frazetta's covers for Conan. And he's not shy about it. He throws it right in your face. And Brahm illustrated black and white and also uh, drew the covers and did a lot of the design. He was magnificent. And yeah. this was our, like... TSR found struck gold. I mean, people talk about Elmore and Parkinson and uh, Caldwell and uh, Easley. Sure, Jeff Easley. But Brom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Saw him at a uh, convention once. Uh, got a chance to say hello, shake his hand, yeah. and buy a little product, which... Uh, very grateful for that because uh, a remarkable guy still working today and you know just one of the top tier of modern fantasy artists science fiction artists what have you if it's strange dark has an almost gothic quality brahm is the guy yep and you know just a really down-to-earth fellow easy to talk to yeah Not, very uh, much so. you know i thought i was being would approach a guy with really strange sensibilities but Nope, no, a gamer, and just really happy to be. He was like, yeah, he loves doing what he does. He, it's a love. Like Frazetta, man. man, I've seen it in every one. He's like, yeah, seven Frazetta paintings. He did each one, like Conan the Warrior, Conan the Conqueror. It's like, 
They're yeah. homages. Yeah, he homages them because that is the material that inspired him as a kid. It is a love affair, and he is not ashamed of it at all. Nor should he be, because he's nailing it. Now, Dark Sun greatly benefited from having... Uh, when you when we talk about the individual tidbits, uh, that's great. But you got to remember that all of this was in one package. All of these facets, the, the yeah. unusual art, the, the new unusual setting, the... the new monsters, the new material, and the you know the rolled up authentic cloth map, and I, you put it all together as a single bundle. And here is a package deal. That was a real wow. You just, the wow factor on this was through the roof, and you open it with, like, man, this is something else. This is way out there on the edge. This is not your, like, knockoff two bit. We spent five cents to tweak some DD stuff and make it a little different. No, no. This was an enormous quantity of all original material with terrific investment. Uh, they really put their time and effort in, and it paid off. Which is why we look back decades later and go, this was a stellar achievement. Yeah, and you could see yourself talking to a insidious merchant clad only in strips of black leather hiding his face instead of in a tavern over awnings that cover you from the sun while dark or hot desert winds blow in and filter through chimes made of bone. While you drink cake juice from clay cups. Yeah, because you're not rich enough to afford clean water. Right. Um, <laughs> cake juice, where does it come from? Well, these beetles grow it on its back. It's actually pretty good, but, you know. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that it gives you a picture of the value of things changed. You know, the things that were essential to well-being and to life became things of great value. So your trade goods, your, your merchandise, your wealth was no longer measured in gold and silver so much. Yeah, everything was sun-baked, adobe, leather strips, bone, hide, and canvas. You know, just hastily, or hastily, crudely put together just to last another day. Yeah. Because people just didn't build for permanence anymore because life was just so brutal. Yeah, there was very little chance of you settling down in the same place for the remainder of your days, so there's no point in investing, like, a small fortune uh, in woodworking and stone uh, when the you know tides of fortune are likely to swamp you at some point and send you scurrying off to wherever next uh, I thought it was one of the better thought out better balanced campaign efforts uh, when you compare it to the other second edition era campaign settings, of which there were many. That This was a period in time where TSR was expanding outwards rapidly, and they were creating a wide variety, not to get away from D&D, no. uh, but to explore other avenues of creativity. Many of them were hit and miss. This one was one of the hits. This yeah, was, this one was a critical hit. Yeah. It was so intense. Now, the tragedy is, is that as soon as it was introduced, they came with a book a novel series to go along with it. And at first, the first few were kind of like just introducing you to the world because it's so new, they needed to immerse you into its narrative and to its feel. Everything has a different feel. It's a desert world, primarily, or a desert area you're playing in that's with tablelands and uh, mesas and plateaus in some areas that are very rugged and hard to cross. In others, there's dangerous jungles filled with hungry halflings. Hungry, hungry halflings. <laughs> <laughs> and other strange, bizarre creatures that you had no 
you don't want to meet twice. <clears throat> and so everything's so new and different, they had to explain it. Now, the problem was they started the meta arc. And the meta arc ran that basically... So there's this dragon running around. So everybody's warning about dragons. And also, unlike the other campaigns that only go to 20, this one goes to 30. You could be 30th level in Dark Sun. Yeah, good luck getting there. Yeah, um, you're welcome to try. <laughs> now, they had a a uh, singular dragon that was supposed to be wandering around doing things. And then the novel, he was killed in the novels. Mm. And then the Sorcerer Kings kind of, you know, they were revealed for what they were in their various ways. And so half of them died. So if you were using any of those places, the novel just ran over them. And it was clumsy. It was right in 93, just like when the prison print had the last one came out. The campaign world had completely changed. Sidira was now a dragon-esque goddess thing. I don't know. Um, the mole warrior that started out was now the leader of a free state. And so, yeah, it drastically changed before you could even really scratch the surface of what this campaign had to offer. Yeah, this took place in the space of just two years. Um, the, the rapid alteration of the campaign setting, which was great to begin with, threw people off. And I'm not saying every change was terrible, but if it had been spread out across like a 10-year period, I think people would have handled some of those alterations better. Well, also, if they didn't write it into the novels, I think would have been the better choice. It just let... Let just the novels let, be the novels. Yeah, let the novels be the novels, tell a story of their own characters, and then let the each group and DM and... And this is not a unique critical error. This was made in Forgotten Realms, where like yeah. some stuff was written in a book... And then they said, well, now the campaign has to be just like the book, uh, which went over like a lead balloon and temporarily killed Forgotten Realms. I mean, it literally had to be resuscitated from the dead. Uh, one of the greatest campaign settings ever written, annihilated by deciding that the crap that somebody wrote in a book. A fucking tragedy. Yeah, uh, had to be the new campaign setting with alterations so radical and so intrinsic to the campaign setting that they were, you know, more or less uh, inextricable parts. You, you, It was very hard to edit them back yeah, out. Yeah, it was. At which point you might as well just not invest in the new series and keep playing your old one, which, again, that that is a fatal blow to a new product coming out. And yeah, so they relaunched the, um, but the Dark new Dark Dark Sun is relaunched. was relaunched, and then it... But it was in a different place, and it was 30 years afterwards, and it had a different feel. Well, you finally found the first ocean, the one remaining ocean. And while it was bigger in scope, it lacked that feel, that grit of the very first one. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, well, you know, I like uh, new ideas and things like that. This one, it, it just, it fell flat, and a new Sionic system, and it went for a couple years, and then it just faded away. Um, Dark Sun was, uh, I think, uh, Dragon Dungeon Magazine both brought Dark Sun back for a third edition, but it didn't do so well. And then fourth edition had a Dark Sun, which I actually heard was uh, captured a lot of the feel of the fourth edition a lot better. Hmm. And uh, it's still out there. A lot of people play it. If I were to play Dark Sun or recommend it to anybody, I would just say take that first campaign set and run with it. Ignore any novels or 
anything other than uh, campaign material or published stuff that's actually built into the uh, made to make the game. There's a great box set yeah, for get the uh, original core set and just spin it your own way. You know, uh, Cities of the Silt Sea. That's a good one, as well as uh, uh, the one a book near uh, Nibbane and uh, one of the other city states. But yeah, make it your own, man. Dark Sun is well worth the time, even if you play it in. You could actually one game I did run. We played it in first edition. Uh, guy was really interested in doing that, and uh, I went through it. And hey, you know, it's it's pretty much uh, easy to transplant. Although I do think when uh, the third edition. Um, revival of it try our treatment of it putting pallets in there was a bad idea at first i was like hey this will work and then oh no it's a terrible <laughs> idea uh but you know it is what it is and it is what you can make of it it's a great campaign setting all on its own it's alternate and uh it owes a lot to different re uh sources i think uh, one of them is um if you're familiar with heavy metal you might be familiar with richard corbin's den if you're not, and uh, if you're under 18, I would not suggest looking for Richard Corbin's Den because it's, uh, I was, while I was reading it at 14, uh, metal, Heavy Metal was kind of like a comic book for yeah. adults, and uh, there was a lot of boobs in that. A lot of boobs. Yeah. <sighs> a lot of sex. A yeah. lot of gore. Um, I like to laugh it off that at that time I was uh, rather cool with it, but uh, fortunately, um, well, welcome to the end of the 70s, dawn of the 80s. Uh, yeah. People did not care nearly so much about that. Uh, there Back was a, then, yeah. There was a lot of, you know, like, I'm not sure I should have seen this, but it was awesome. You know, there were a lot of moments like that. Den is a great era. story and uh, in its own right. It doesn't resemble Dark Sun 100% or even, I would say, 30%, but you can definitely tell the influence of Dark Sun in there. And then uh, later, uh, Troy Denning, I heard him talking about it uh, at a Gen Con symposium about Dark Sun. Where he said that they actually didn't want to have elves and dwarves. They wanted to have a bunch of different races like uh, little dinosaur dobby-doos called uh, Terex and uh, for the little small critters crawling around. Kind of like uh, angrier kobolds and uh, that could fly. Ooh. And wow. some others uh, and some elemental type uh, types uh, like the Petch. Oh. Oh, the, the, the Petch from... Uh... Uh, second edition. Oh no! No no what? no! That's first edition. Uh, Lost Caverns of Sakant. Yeah, well, they first was, made their uh, was their first appearance. Uh, neutral little stone cutting uh, beings that were m more appropriately situated deep beneath the earth. Yeah, but they were from the elemental plane of earth, so they were kind of planar trans uh, transfers, and a couple of other uh, uh, new creatures to replace them, but. Um, they decided that that would be a little too jarring as, you know, they were going way off course. They wanted to bring some familiar friends, which, of course, elves and dwarves, they made a perfect, and uh, cannibal halflings make a perfectly. Oh, cannibal halflings. Still better than Kender. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you were going to do something to radically alter one of the familiar races uh, and to make it, you know, a completely different experience, uh, the cannibal halflings was a nice way to go with it. Uh, mm -hmm. The Kender was an incredibly annoying way to invite at least one player in your group to be a complete asshat. The entire. I just take that because I'm. I don't I understand. Don't steal. It's not stealing. I'm just borrowing. I think you understand the concept. No, no, my character doesn't understand the concept. Like, yeah, but you understand the concept of being hung upside down in the living room and beaten with sticks and having <laughs> dice hucked at you. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know. You're talking to me or you're talking to my player? I'm, 
of our character. Talking oh, I'm talking right at you. you. Yeah, so. <clears throat> but yeah, as we close it up about Dark Sun, it had a tragic ending, but that doesn't mean that uh, if you can't, you find one of those big brown box sets laying around, pick it up, crack it open. You'll be impressed, and hopefully you'll take your voyage in the Dark Sun of Athos. Ah, yes. But it is well worth the time, and uh, our time, speaking that, of that, is coming to a close. Ah, yeah, our era is at its end. All right. Ah, with that said, you know, it was a great pleasure to talk about Dark Sun. Yes. We, this was a campaign that made a huge impression on us then and still influences what we think of as a cool, innovative, creative, divergent, different, you know, a really divergent setting. That's our impression of what it looks like when it rocks. And so it, it, it's permanently entrenched in our memories as a good example. Uh, yep. So, all, all right. right. Well, so, if you if you enjoyed, feel free to give us uh, likes, shouts. Uh, if packs. you hated, you know, you can hurl curses and, uh, you know, fling dice. at. You can fire at us. Yeah, you can, you know, uh, record the sound of a toilet flushing and then, you know, just... <laughs> Than that, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> don't but, give me any ideas. But feel free to communicate. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you think on our uh, Facebook page, as well as you can get a hold of us on Twitter, me at Death Hand Gaming, and myself at Magi Vox. Right, you can get a hold of us there and let us know what your thoughts are, or you can download the Anchor app and leave us a voicemail, and we'll put you on our show. But okay, I think that does it for us. But until next time, then. May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.